Welcome from the island of Jamaica and we are here on the Healing Stars podcast, Rich Woman magazine, and today we have an exciting interview with Aidan and uh, Professor Grace. We are all aware that unresolved grief resulting from intense pain and suffering inflicted by gruesome social ills have increasingly posed a threat to human existence. And most of all, this threat is not unique to any age, any gender, any religion. It's a threat to humanity, to our very existence. And this is something that must be treated deliberately as we would have treated a pandemic such as COVID-19. So welcome to Healing Stars, From Scars to Stars, where we showcase individuals who have navigated through their scars to be shining like stars or needing support to navigate their way through pain to the hope side of grief. And as I mentioned earlier, our esteemed guest is Aidan McNeely. He is here to share with us how he has navigated his grief while dealing with his life scars. Notice I say life scars because today Aidan McNeely is shining like a star and being a change agent as an expert at life. He is also an author of Layman's Handbook in life and two sons to many. An exciting moment we anticipate. So Aidan, tell us, what was life like for you before you identified any scars? And how and when did you discover or identify that they existed? Talk to us. This episode is sponsored by MTN Press. MTN Press is the publishing house behind niche publications like Rich Human, Sovereign, and the Quantum of Light magazines, all British brands with a global reach. They deliver the good news straight to the desk of decision makers, the CEOs, presidents, CFOs, consultants, investors, influencers, bankers, PR agencies, heads of global operations, to name just a few. They also offer specialized support through a range of bespoke services, tools, and systems to help publishers like you grow both their presence and business. Whether you are running a blog, a niche magazine, or thinking to start one, their expert knowledge in the world of publishing can give you the tools and the expertise and the confidence you need to succeed. Check them out at mtnpress.co.uk or follow the link in the episode description. We're speaking to each other across the world. We're on the two most beautiful islands in the world, many miles apart. Yeah, life before. My story is quite twisting and turning. And I guess to keep specific when we talk about the grief issue, I think I was about 29 years of age when my father passed away. 
he had a ongoing cancer battle and the standard typical road of chemotherapies and radiations and that takes its toll on a person and there were a lot of special moments we were lucky for the advances in chemo because we got to chat and discuss life and that was my first hardcore introduction to losing somebody close to me that was the patriarch of the family that was my dad this is a big deal and if i fast forward a number of years then i went out in the world with that not knowing what to do as a first it was my first real tragedy my father i was there in the room when he passed and it was hurtful it inspired me to go and make a business and work and it was like i wanted to show my dad i was like damn why didn't i do this when he was alive but if i fast forward to i want to bring you up to speed december 12th 2011 life was happening i was i had my own business like i said i was being quite successful i had a beautiful wife i had a beautiful son who was with my ex partner she had moved on and married also i had moved on and married but the connection was still there and december 12th 2011 i received a phone call phone call a phone call that changed my life i don't know if anyone listening or yourself um, a phone call to change your life And that phone call was my brother. And my brother was calling me on an internet connection like we have today from Sweden. That's where he lives. We're from Dublin, Ireland. He lives in Sweden. And at the time I was in Costa Rica. And that's where I lived. And that phone call I could give you the playback of how it went but the end of that phone call my brother told me that my son was dead he'd pleaded with me to call her mom back in Ireland he'd pleaded with me to it was very difficult for him it was very difficult for me and that grace was the beginning of a whole new experience for me to do with death loss and grief wow i had to in a panic mm-hmm. go ahead i had to in a panic as anyone that knows about a sudden loss dara died in his bed from what they call sudden death or sads sudden adult death syndrome it just happens the electronics of the heart stop working it's not a heart attack it's not a cardiac it's just peacefully stops and so with that moment in that phone call i needed to find a plane and i needed to travel from one side of the world to the other and i wanted to be there immediately mhm now i didn't know what was going on at that time my lips kept mumbling or murmuring 
Words didn't come out. The tears were rolling down my face. And the lips were just rattling off each other and and I wasn't speaking. Let's call it shock. And inside me was emotion. And it kept lifting up from inside me like a wave. About that, I just received a phone call. Uh, anyway, as I said, the wave in the ocean, just like that, it was coming up from un- underneath in my stomach and coming out through my lips in a mumble and a murmur and tears. And I had to speak with ticket sales agents and get a ticket and find a way. It's not very easy anyway. If you try to do it any on a normal day, they w- I said, I need to be there now. They said 27 hours. We can fly it to Dallas. We fly it from Dallas to New York to Paris to London to Dublin. And uh, we'll get you there that way. And it, it, long story short, I did manage mm-hmm. to secure a ticket to go Costa Rica to Madrid for an 11 hour flight. Wow. Wait in Madrid an hour or two. Madrid in Spain to Dublin, Ireland, a couple of hours. I was picked up curbside by my brother, who we then and I walked in that night. There was a large line outside the house, people walking up to the house to awake, to pay their respects. I didn't join any line, and I walked past everybody across the garden in the front door, and my baby boy, 15, was in a coffin in the front room of that house. Mm. That, Grace, was the beginning of a serious grief journey. Thank you. I can only imagine what that felt like. And thank you for being vulnerable. And for those who are joining, we are at this time speaking with Aidan, our guest on Healing Stars from Scars to Stars, right here with Rich Woman Magazine. And as we are aware, Rich Woman Magazine is is sponsored by the MTN Press. And we salute Dr. Maria for the excellent work that she's doing and the opportunity to share. But Aidan, you've said something to me yesterday when we spoke just briefly, when I was listing all the things that we discussed on this um, podcast, you, you said all of the above. I am an expert at life, and now I can appreciate what that meant. The divorce, the death, the dying, and all of those cars, and even sexual abuse and so on that that you would have mentioned. We, we really value your input into sharing and shining so that others can see or to light the way for others to see. You started talking about the grieving process, how it felt like an ocean. And, and that's lead me to another question. You know, uh, Grace, 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 your volume is very low to me. Sorry about that. Normally, when we talk about grief, we talk about the five stages of denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. 
And I want to know right now, when you went through your process, you mentioned it was like an ocean, but give us a little more of what that really felt like. Could it be that it was like a smooth, <laughs> or was it the rough waves, a roller coaster, or? A, well, that, what, that, what happened? That, what I was speaking of was just that one day, those waves. Mm. I had to negotiate myself through airports in the world, sit on a plane next to people, and every five, six minutes, these waves came up. And what I later realized, you see, at the time, I didn't know what was going on. I was a mess. I later realized, and I can look back and tell you what it was, it was my emotion that was so fully charged trying to come out, and my survival mechanism trying to not let it all come out at once and it was coming out in bits it was the, the big burst out crying event was coming out in bits for 12 hours on the first plane in the in the airport four hours in a car in dublin all the way down to just get in that door and see him so about 17 18 hours every six minutes let's say mm -hmm. In my survival, that's how it was an instinctive survival that made me make that helped me make that journey because I was not consciously making that journey, I was in bits. And I guess that was when you said at the beginning of, of, of a real grief story for me. I, I touched on I'd buried, we'd buried my father earlier in life, and nothing compared to. Being at a grave, holding the straps and lowering my son in, into his grave. Nothing prepared me or compared to that. You'd mentioned about other situations of life. At the time I was married and we were beginning a separation. And it was a very new separation at the time. And I was in Costa Rica. My wife was in California. And on news of my son dying, she jumped on a plane also from there. And so we had the time here in Ireland. And she asked me at that time, you know, what about us? And I said, don't ask me that. What about us? And so she stayed a couple of days and I put her back on a plane to California. And we never managed to rekindle that relationship. Life had very much come to a standstill that day. December 12, 2011. And you say a five stages of grief. I understand that, obviously, today, I'm talking to you 10 years after that. Today is 10 years later, and I, I've educated myself a lot in the process of grief. And grief has been an ongoing process. And I understand the stages that we talk about in anger and denial and guilt, emotional feelings. I was in a position at time that I could not process one of them. I actually sat in the room for three weeks. And in my recollection, I did not eat. I did not use the bathroom. I sat in a room with a TV, watching late night movies, waking up in the morning, staying up at night. It was a very difficult three immediate weeks and of course that was Christmas and that was New Year's and that happened to be my birthday also 
to this day, they're a bit of a blank. We have an instinctive survival mechanism that kicks in and, and carries us through tough times. I'll go back a little. I want to. I'm going to jump back. When I was 17 years of age, I was incarcerated. I was a bit of a wayward youth. I was locked up, and I got a chance. I took the chance. And I was offered a position in a youth drug and alcohol rehabilitation center. The requirement was for me to stay out of prison was to complete the program. So I completed the program and I returned to school and education. A sober living man. All of my life since. And I haven't given up drugs and alcohol and these kind of things. And I enjoyed life. It was wonderful. And I'd met many tests to test my sobriety. To this day, I'm a non-drinker, non-drug user. When Dara died, they were not an option for me. And people speak, like you said, stages of grief about maybe being counterproductive and some people may turn harm on themselves in form of abuse of substances. I can understand because of the feelings and because of my training in that area way earlier in life. It was a valuable tool to me at that time. And that was way back then. So if we fast forward, I'm 35 years of age and my son is dead. Here we are 10 years later, and to talk of the stages of grief, they still exist on any given day. They're not as painful. They're not as uh, overwhelming. But from December 12, 2011, yes, there were times that I could not function. I couldn't function as a human being. I couldn't function as a man. I couldn't function as a person of the world, which meant I wouldn't get out of bed. I didn't shower. I rarely ate in those times. And they were difficult. Because I had an emotional hurricane going on inside me. I'd wished, obviously, as any parent that may listen, when we lose a child, we want to be in the grave. We want the child living. We would rather be dead. We want to take their place. Now, if I fast forward a little bit, as a grieving father, trying to come to terms with the world, my own anger, the stage of grief, anger, my relationship was gone, separated, divorced. I was a loner. Isolated. I isolated myself. As I needed time to think, and I could not think because my mind would race and rush and not understand. And with that, my emotions, my emotions were coming out in pieces. So let's just call me a, a bruised and battered person by that time. In 2013, February, so two short years later, 
I had a new son. Patrick was born, and Patrick does not know that I guess an angel's job here in the world. I don't know anyone's religious beliefs, and, and I'm not that big on it, but I will say that they say God sends us an angel to do a job. And people say all babies are angels. Those who came most recent from heaven are the most pure. Patrick came to give me a new light, a new hope. And Patrick being born made me a father again. Shai's a grieving father because we lost Dara. And Patrick was born. A new son. I could start over. And I used to hold Patrick as a baby. Sometimes in the morning, in the garden, in the sun. And I'd say, Patrick, you have a bigger brother out there. And he's looking down on us. And when you get older, I'm going to tell you all about him. And I just wish he was here to enjoy you. But he's going to have to do it through my eyes. He's going to have to know what it's like to be a father through my eyes. Because he's died and he won't have the chance to be a dad himself. And Patrick, the, be, the, the coming of Patrick into my life was the work of an angel. I can, I can tell you, Patrick coming into my life, his being was something that stopped me from killing myself. Because I wanted to go and be with Dara. Mm -hmm. How did I understand? That where is Dara gone? Patrick was born in February 2013. When Patrick was one year and four months old, I woke up one morning to a very loud bellowing sound. Before I knew what was going on, I was running out of the room. Patrick's mom was in the swimming pool trying to drag him from under the water. And I reached down at the poolside to grab him and perform mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Patrick had walked, woke up and decided to walk out the door and walked into a swimming pool and drowned. Wow. When I was breathing on his lips, trying to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, I can taste it now. I can taste lactic acid. I can taste it. And if anyone's ever had an outer body experience or a surreal experience, I felt the hand of God come down and take his life. I was breathing on his lips. We carried him to the ambulance. We rushed to a hospital. But I knew he was gone. I was on that poolside on my knees, breathing into his mouth. Remember, I leaned back on my knees, back to my heels. I was leaned right back, and I looked up at that sky, and I said, not again. I went to the hospital. They tried everything. In a drowning, when so much percentage of oxygen is gone from the blood, there's nothing more they can do. So they called it, and um, they pronounced him dead in the emergency room. I was sharing with somebody recently, very recently, 
they gave us some time. They gave me and his mom some time to lie there by his bed. And then they wanted to take him in a hospital trolley to the morgue. We didn't want anyone to touch him. I picked up Patrick in the hospital blanket and I walked the hallways and corridors to the morgue following the nurse. Mm. In that walk, holding my baby, my angel, my second son to die, is the toughest thing I'll ever do, I have ever done in my life. Wow. A grieving father, I was crippled by Dara's death. In walking with Patrick to the morgue, that was the wrecking ball to steamroll me completely. 